Hey, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If uh, you don't have your Bible with you, that's totally okay. Uh, we're going to have some words on the screen behind me here. Uh, we're also uh, on the YouVersion Bible app. And so if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can click the More tab. And then you can go to Events and then you can find us there, Hillside Missionary Church. Hey, uh, we've been talking about the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard of Elijah. Certainly, this is one of the uh, most highly regarded Old Testament prophets that we have. And Elijah does some amazing things in the Old Testament. He brings the first person that has uh, died back to life. And so God creates a miracle through Elijah. Elijah is also in the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus shows uh, his heavenly form to his disciples, Elijah's right next to him. In fact, when Jesus is doing his earthly ministry, people look around and they say, who is this guy? Is this, is this guy Elijah? Has he come back? And so Elijah is a very highly regarded guy. And yet, even though he does some amazing things in the Old Testament, he also has some really dark times in his life. He has some really difficult times in his life. That's why I, I just love God's Word, because it not only shows the good parts of life, but it also shows the really hard parts of life, the really dark parts of life. And it tells us, hey, God loves us. He has a plan for your life. And this is how you get through it. And so we're going to look at this today, 1 Kings chapter 19. Remember, Elijah just came off of a huge win. He faced uh, 450 evil prophets of Baal. Remember, that's their uh, false god that Israel has fallen for right now, the king and the king's wife. They're full proponents of worshiping Baal. Elijah, a true prophet of the one true God, goes against them, proves them all wrong, and then goes forth with killing all of those prophets. So this is a huge win for Elijah. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. Follow along with me. This is what it says. Ahab, that's the evil king, told Jezebel, that's his evil queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept in the, under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a head of cake baked on a hot stone and jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in with the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left. 
and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind uh, tore the mountain and, and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abel-Madon, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. We're going to talk about this passage and uh, what this means for our lives today. Before we do, I, I just want to warn you, though, this is a heavy topic that we're going to be talking about today. It's a heavy time that Elijah goes through, but again, this speaks to our lives, and I think more so than uh, probably just about any other time in recent history. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But before we do that, let's just go before the Lord. Let's ask him for his help with that and applying this to our lives today. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can freely go to it and that we can rely on it. You gave this to us, Father, because you are a God of love. And you love us so much that you wouldn't just let us go our way and try and figure out stuff on our own. But Father, you love us so much that you said, Here's my love letter to you. Here's the way that you are to live your life. Here's the way that I created you. And Father, we just thank you so much for that. And so as we look at your word today and we talk about our lives, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us. As we prayed earlier that we wouldn't leave this place in the same relationship with you than when we came. But, Father, we would grow in that relationship. We would glorify you with everything that we have. And because of this time that we spent here together this morning, we could worship you more. Jesus, that is our prayer. Help us with that. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen. Hey, I've got a question for you. Uh, when you hear the word mental health, when you hear that phrase, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Maybe uh, you think, man, I, I don't really hear about that uh, too often. Maybe you hear about uh, that very often. May was Mental Health Awareness Month, and so maybe you heard about something on the news. Maybe as you were scrolling through social media, you heard about something. How do you react to that? Before we do that, let's uh, just talk about the definition of what that even looks like. You might say, okay, I don't really even know what that is. Uh, this is what the CDC says mental health is. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps to determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. 
It goes on to say mental and physical health are equally important components of overall health. For example, depression increases the risk of many type of physical health problems, particularly long-lasting conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. Similarly, the presence of chronic conditions can increase the risk for mental illness. There's two big camps that I see believers, Christians, uh, making as they react to mental health. The first one is this camp, the people who say, you can pray through anything. You don't need counselors, you don't need medication, you can pray your way through this. If there's something wrong with your mental health, obviously there's something wrong with your faith. You must have something going on between you and God. Maybe there's a sin addiction going on, uh, maybe there's some type of problem, and uh, this is how these people react to it. There's another uh, camp of people who would say, you know what, if you have a mental health problem, let's just compartmentalize your whole life. Uh, you don't need to think about your relationship with the Lord. You need to go to a counselor. You need to get some type of medication, and you need to work through this secularly. Uh, the church can't help you with this. God can't help you with this. You need to seek out your own help with this. Now, you might uh, have heard one of these two reactions and say, actually, uh, I've heard, I've interacted with people like that, and I've been hurt by people like that, either uh, with either one of these reactions. And I will say, first and foremost, both of these reactions are errors. Neither one of these reactions are biblical. And so as your pastor, I want to let you know, if you have been hurt by someone who has reacted that way, I'm sorry, that shouldn't have happened. And we're going to look at how the Bible talks about this. Now, before we go any further, though, uh, I had mentioned I think this is particularly a large issue right now. Here's just a couple of statistics for you. Mental, this is from the uh, National Institute of Mental Health Disorders. Mental health disorders account for several of the top causes of disability in established market economies, such as the U.S., worldwide, and include major depression, also called clinical depression, manic depression, also called bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. An estimated, look at this, 26% of Americans age 18 and older, about one in four adults, suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. This is what that means. On average, someone in your household this year will suffer from a diagnosable mental health disorder. Now, that might seem shocking to you, and you might say, that could never happen in my house, but the statistics are clear. There are people who suffer, lots of people who suffer from this, particularly in our culture, in our day today. Life is hard. And just like any other problem that we suffer with our health, might be high blood pressure, diabetes, allergies even, there is help for you in this regard as well. I will say this. I will never shame you for taking a high blood pressure medicine or taking a nasal spray for allergies, and no one else should shame you for having a mental health disorder. In fact, uh, I would say this camp over here who says, you just need to pray through it, and uh, you, you know what, you just, if, if there's a problem, uh, say a prayer, light a candle, take a bath, and uh, everything will be fine. Uh, I will say that's very harmful for people who suffer through mental health. Now, on the other side as well, people who say, you know what, you don't need God, and uh, you know what, uh, you just, you need to go seek only secular help. The church can't help you whatsoever. God can't help you whatsoever is also very damaging towards people because we can't compartmentalize everything in our life. God made you one person 
Yes, you are spiritual. Yes, you are emotional. Yes, you are physical. But all those things are tied together. And Scripture shows us that. And let me show it to you. Elijah goes through a very difficult time, as we said earlier. Remember, he just went through an amazing time. And then uh, the evil queen, Jezebel, Ahab comes to her. That's the evil king. He comes to Jezebel and says, hey, you're never going to believe what Elijah did. He killed all the prophets of Baal. And so uh, Jezebel, the evil queen, this is her reaction. She essentially says, hey, you know what, Elijah? Uh, Let that be done to me, that all that prophets, remember all those prophets were killed by Elijah. Uh, She says, let that be done to me if I don't kill you by tomorrow. This is a death threat on Elijah's life. And so he reacts by being afraid, which is kind of like a duh, right? You're like, uh, yeah, if someone makes a death threat on my life, it might make sense that I would be afraid. It says, then he was afraid, and he arose, and look at this, he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Just put that in the back of your head. We'll get to that in just a sec, that he was alone for this instance. But look at what happens next. He said, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat under a broom tree. Now this is an important detail that uh, Scripture has included here. Broom trees, typically, in this region of the world, they're they're a smaller tree. They only grow to about 10 foot. Uh, But typically, and not always, but typically, a broom tree is going to grow where water will, uh, will drain in the event of a very heavy downfall. And what will happen is there's, there's a valley created by uh, rocks and debris, all sorts of stuff. And what will happen is when there's a heavy downfall, that area actually becomes flooded. Now, not all broom trees uh, are in that, those areas, but several broom trees are. And if you think about Elijah's mindset right now, he's praying that God would kill him. He's saying, hey, God, it's enough. You need to take my life. I'm done here. This isn't working. I have death threats. Just take me already. This is, this is horrible. Get me out of here, God. He puts himself in a place where if there's a downfall, he will drown. And he says, God, I want you to take my life from me. Many people would consider what Elijah is going through right now to be suicidal ideation. That he's saying, I have First of all, he's praying that God would kill him. Second of all, he's gotten himself alone. And lastly, he's put himself in a situation where a physical circumstance would cause him to die. This is a rough spot that Elijah is in right now. Here's the first thing I want to point out. I have a a, a lot here today. I'm not sure if we're going to make here, but this is just a really important topic to cover, as we talked about earlier. One in four people will suffer from a mental health disorder this year alone. This year alone. So I really want you to pay attention here. Um, The first thing that this story helps us to realize is that nobody's immune to mental illness. As we talked about earlier, Elijah, he's one of the most highly regarded prophets of the Old Testament. And sometimes we walk around and we say, hey, no, my faith is good. I believe in Jesus. I'm a strong believer. Uh, I could never become depressed. I could never suffer from anxiety. I could never have a mental health problem in my life. Well, first and foremost, remember, listen, Elijah, he's one of the most highly regarded prophets of the Old Testament, and he suffers from a depressive moment in his life. Even in the New Testament, it talks about Elijah 
constantly. As I said earlier, people thought that Jesus was Elijah. As Jesus was transfigured and he shows his uh, heavenly being to his disciples, Elijah's right next to him. As Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus sh shouts out, my, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And look at this in verse 47. It says, some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And yet even Elijah suffered from a mental, a mental health issue in his life. And you can too. And so before we go into it, before we start talking about uh, the other thing that, that, that this passage teaches us, I just, I just want to tell you, first and foremost, I am not a health, mental health professional. I'm your pastor. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. But remember, your life is connected. And so uh, your spiritual life is connected to your emotional and mental well-being. And so what I want to help you to do this morning is to look at this passage and say, how do we interact with mental health? If all of us are susceptible to it, if none of us are immune to it, how do we interact with it then without making the errors that many people typically make? Let's continue on here. It says this, that uh, when Ahab told Jezebel that what Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, she then goes on to make the death threat. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. It's right after a huge win for Elijah. I want to point out two things that the enemy can do for us to attack our mental health. The first thing is that the enemy often attacks us when we least expect it. Elijah just went through a huge, huge win. And the enemy says, now it's time. Now it's time to attack him. He does the same thing with King David. At the beginning of chapter 11 in 1 Samuel, it says this, that at the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him. And David remains at Jerusalem. So things are good for David. And the next verse says, then it happened. Those of you who have been in church for a while knows what it is. David walks out on his balcony and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. The enemy attacks him when things are good. David should have been out fighting. He should have had his guard on. Things were good for David. He didn't have to go out. And that's when the enemy attacks. And for you too, things might look really good in your life on paper. It might, it might look like, man, you and your spouse are just doing things and it's great and you're, you're uh, crossing things off that to-do list and things are good with your kids and things are good at work. And man, the enemy starts attacking. Jesus tells us that th this, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. We talked about this verse last week, but 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that to, uh, we are to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 6.11 tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's scheming after you, and he is not above attacking your mental health. The next thing I want to point out about how the enemy attacks us often is this verse in verse 3. Remember, I told you to put this in the back of your mind. It says at the end of verse 3 that he left his servant there. Elijah gets himself alone, and then he puts himself in this situation under the broom tree. The second way that the enemy often attacks us is he attacks us when we are alone. Not only when we are physically alone, although typically we can be uh, physically alone if maybe we're not 
uh, feeling super well, if we're feeling uh, depressed or anxious, sometimes uh, we seclude ourselves, we get ourselves alone. But oftentimes we're just around people and we even feel alone. Uh, statistics would tell you that loneliness is uh, the highest that it has ever been, that people feel isolated, people feel lonely right now. Elijah is in that circumstance. If you feel lonely, even though that people are around you, you're not alone. Elijah felt that way. In verse 10, remember God just asked him, why are you here, Elijah? And look at what Elijah says. He says, hey, listen, I've done all these things, and I, even I, am left. And people seek my life to take it away from me. Later on, God will ask him this same thing again. Why are you here, Elijah? And he it repeats himself in verse 14. This isn't a typo. You might say, hey, the, the verse number changed and none of the words changed. That's because Elijah responds the exact same way. He says, I, even I, am left alone. We know that that's not true. Remember, in chapter 18, at the beginning, he runs into Obadiah, another prophet of the Lord. Obadiah has a hundred other prophets that he's keeping safe. There are other people who love God in Israel right now. And Elijah feels alone. And when you feel alone, oftentimes the enemy can attack. This is why, man, it is so important that you are a part of a good Bible-believing church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that we uh, are to let us consider how to stir up one another and to, be, uh, and to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. A community of people who are like-minded like us, who love Jesus, can help you in your walk with Jesus. And it can not only help that, but it can just help your mental health. To have a community around you and to have people around you to say, hey, how are you doing? How's life right now? How's your kids? How's the job treating you? That helps. You need that. God didn't design you to be isolated and to be alone. He designed you to be in a group of Bible-believing Christians. Let's move on. It says in verse 4 that, remember, he gets himself away. He gets himself alone. And he uh, puts himself under the broom tree. And he says this. He says, hey, God, take it away from me. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. What does this show us, though? It shows us that Elijah, he's a good prophet, and he honestly goes before the Lord in prayer, and he tells him that. Now, sometimes, uh, our, with our prayer life, man, sometimes we just want to put on that nice Christianese face, right? Everything is fine. How you doing? Fine. Good. Everything is great. God, oh, you're so good, and everything is great, and everything going perfect because you're such a good God, and nothing ever is going wrong, and I don't need anything from you. Praise the Lord. You're, you're amazing. And all along... We're a mess on the inside, right? And what, like you're feeling anxious and you're feeling depressed and your relationship with your spouse is a mess and your relationship with your kids is a mess and stuff at work is a mess and you're not sure how you can get through the next season of your life, but everything is fine, praise the Lord, right? Listen, Elijah, one of the most highly regarded Old Testament prophets, cries out to the Lord and says, I'm done, take my life, God. What does he do? He honestly goes before the Lord in prayer. He has the confidence that Hebrews chapter 4 talks about when he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of need. He goes to the throne with confidence, and you can as well. In your time of need, when things are rough, be honest with God. And here's the great thing about who God is. Elijah, he goes to him, and God doesn't react by saying, Elijah, get up. I can't believe, you, come on, man. You face 450 prophets and you can't face one woman? Come on, this is ridiculous. What are you doing here, Elijah? Get back up. I got work for you to do. Stop slacking around. Come on. God doesn't do that. What does he do? He simply offers him food, rest. He talks with him and he reminds him of his purpose. We'll, we'll get to those things in just a moment. But Elijah goes to the Lord in prayer because he has the confidence that God is a good God, full of mercy and full of grace. And you might be in in such a spot in your life where you're saying, man, things are rough, and I'm not sure that I, I can go to God in prayer. Here's the confidence that we have as well. Romans 8, 26 tells us this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as We ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes the best thing that you can do in your relationship with the Lord when things are rough, when you don't know what to pray for, is just simply sit there and say, God, you know what I'm going through. And I can't put it into words. But you know me better than I know myself. So God, I'm just going to sit in your presence and I'm going to honestly go before you in prayer. So Elijah, he goes to the broom tree here and he cries out honestly before the Lord. Excuse me, just just a moment. He honestly goes before the Lord here. And then look at this. It says that an angel goes and touches him and he says, arise and eat. And then it says this. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. So, okay, the angel shows up. He has a meal right there. He takes a nap again. So he takes two naps here, and then he wakes up, and look at this. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Now, this is really interesting to me. We talked about God's kindness and God's mercy, and sometimes the best thing that we can do is to just sit in the presence of the Lord. And God gives Elijah exactly what he needs right then, which is not a swift kick in the pants to get back up and get back working. It's to take a nap and to eat a couple of good meals. Now, that's really interesting to me what God does here. He sends his angel and he says, All right, just rest a little while. And for us, sometimes the best thing that we can do is to accept God's rest and provision in our lives. When you rest, you trust that God will provide for you. If you weren't trusting in Him, then you wouldn't rest. You would say, all right, I need to go up to work. I need to get this laundry done. I need to get all these things done in my life. But when you rest, this is why the Sabbath is so important. When you rest, you trust in God. It's a trust exercise between you and the Lord. And you say, all right, God, you've got my income covered. All right, God, you've got the chores covered. All right, God, you've got all of my work covered. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Psalm 27, verse 2 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. I like going to bed early and sleeping in. Some people are like, are you an evening person or a morning person? Neither. I like to sleep. <laughs> so look at this. It is vain that you rise up early and go to bed late. Look at this. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is to say, God, I'm going to trust that you have this all under control, and I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to start the process over. And I'm going to trust you, God. God gives Elijah exactly what he needs when he needs it. Now in the second part of the chapter here, in verse 11, God is responding to Elijah. Remember, Elijah goes 40 days in the wilderness. He goes to a uh, cleft here, the Mount of Horeb. More than likely, most scholars think that this is the exact mountain that Moses was on when he received the Ten Commandments. And so this is kind of a holy place. It's where God meets with people. And he says this. This is the Lord speaking to Elijah. He says, Go and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind uh, tore the mountain and, and broke it into pieces, the rocks, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And then it's in that low whisper that Elijah, he goes out, he wraps himself. Think about this. This is like Moses with the veil. It, it, it's, it's almost identical. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, it's not in the fires, it's not in the earthquakes, it's not in the storms. It's a low whisper, a still, small voice that God speaks to Elijah through. He says, what are you doing? Now, it's interesting. Uh, God already knows what Elijah is doing, right? He's all-knowing. He does the same, actually, with Adam and Eve. And he asks, where are you? Why are you covered up with these leaves? Right? He asks them, why? Because he's leading them along. He's a good, he's a gracious uh, God. He loves them too much to just keep them there in their misery, right? But he's trying to lead them back to the truth. Teachers will do this often, right? They'll ask leading questions and they'll say, all right, so what, what is the answer to this? They already know it. God's doing the same thing. It's a teaching exercise for him. But look at this. He's teaching him something more than just, uh, why are you here? He went through all of these crazy things, the, the storms, the earthquakes, the fires. Why? Because he wanted to teach Elijah, hey, I don't just speak through the crazy times, right? I don't just speak through the amazing, miraculous times when you're bringing a dead person back to life here. I also speak to you in the normal times, in a still, small voice, in the mundane times, in the really low times of life as well. Here's the next thing I want you to write down. God may speak to you in ways that you don't expect. You might be expecting a certain, a certain answer from the Lord when you sit down and, and just rest in God's presence and just cry out to Him honestly. You might expect uh, for, for, for God to give you a certain answer. To say, you know what, I'm go- I, you, I, you're right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your boss fired. You know what, that's it. No more of this bot. This is ridiculous. And God may not say that to you. God may not hear, tell you what you want to hear. It's just the reality. And we have to have faith and listen to the Lord and be open to that as well. I want to point out something. Before he even goes to this cave, though, in verse 8, it tells us that he arose and he drank, 
And he went in strength of that food, look at this, for 40 days and nights to horror of the mouth of God. It took him 40 days. He traveled over 200 miles to go where he was in the wilderness, out to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Now that's interesting. Um, I don't know that I would have asked a depressed person to go on a 40-day hike, right? Like, hey, you know what, Elijah? Let's go backpacking. It's going to take you over a month. Uh, you're going to travel a couple hundred miles. Good luck. Get on it with it, right? And Elijah's sitting there like, what? Right? I just asked for you to kill me, and now you're, tra- you're having me go backpacking? This is crazy. What are you doing here, God? But again, God's not going to always give you the answer that you want. And I think that this was slightly therapeutic for Elijah as well. He's having him get up. He's having him walk to get out in nature and say, hey, listen, let's go through this process together. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you all throughout your days here and throughout your 40 days throughout the wilderness. Look at this. That's a long time. What do you do when you feel like, man, my mental health might be a little off right now. Look at this. You've got to trust in God's timing over your own. 100%. You have to trust in God's timing. Just like He won't always give you the answer that you want, He's not always going to give you the timeline that you want either. I'm sure for Elijah... He would have much preferred him to just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to fix you right now. You're going to feel all better. And then you're going to go uh, up to the evil queen and you're going to show her what's up. And uh, we're just going to be done with this. And that's not what happens. And yet Elijah trusts in God's timing. This is why scripture always over and over and over and over again says to wait on the Lord. Second Peter 3.8 says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a, as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's timing is not our timing. And we are to wait on the Lord like Psalm 27.14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, even you shall faint and uh, be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Lamentations 3 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Trust in God's timing. Elijah, he goes the 40 days. He speaks with the Lord. He hears from the Lord. He cries out and says, hey, listen, I'm lonely. I'm the only one left. And this is how the Lord responds to Elijah in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. This is really, really interesting to me. Because God is saying, hey, I know that you just walked this 40 days. We met here on this mountain. I want you to walk 40 days back the same exact way that you came. The same exact way. Now, I could only imagine Elijah as he's walking down this path here, and he's walking for 40 days over a couple hundred miles, the thoughts that were running through his head. Man, what if somebody pops out that knows who I am, and there's a bounty out for my head right now? And they kill me. Man, I, I'm not, I don't know why God called me to do this. He's walking past that rock and he has that certain thought, right? Why, why did God call me to do this? And, 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 and I don't even know if I'm doing anything right. Why am I in this situation that I'm in? He has to go back through that same path. And as he does that, I could only imagine that he passes by a certain rock and he thinks, man, that's, 
That's where I thought, man, really, a really dark thought. My, that, when I passed by this way, that's when I was thinking, man, whew, God, you, man, why did you call me here? And I, I didn't feel like I was worth it. It's a difficult path for Elijah to go through. It forces him to process the path that led him there, to process why he got to where he got. And for us as well, it's important that we process the path that led us to where we are now. 2 Corinthians tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we're to take that seriously, that Jesus makes us new, we've got to understand what's gone. And the important part is that we process, hey, what led us here? What led me here? Are there certain decisions that I made? Are there certain things that I have gone through that led me to the position that I am in right now? It's important to process that. And if you're looking at this and you're saying, man, yeah, I, I have gone through some really difficult times. I, I, I've suffered some abusive situations. I, I, I've suffered from some really difficult times in my life. It is doubly important that you process those things. And chances are you probably need to go see a professional. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to point you in the right direction. And here's what I know for your life. Listen, that you are a new creation in Christ. Behold, look at this. The old has passed away. The new has come. And the promise that we hold on to is that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He forgives you from your sins. And that's sometimes a very difficult path to process. Because we have to acknowledge those things. And that can be really hard. But God forces Elijah to go through that process. Look at this. God also tells him, he says, hey, listen, I want you to go back. I want you to go be my prophet. And then he also tells him this. This is kind of a verse out of kind of left field. If you're reading along here, you're kind of like, what's going on here? Why is this even in here? It says, the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Now, remember, Elisha is a different person. This is kind of Elijah's protege who he's rising up. God commands him to uh, 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 have this uh, person be his kind of mentee and, and to train up here. Now, this is really interesting that, that God put this in here, though. Because look at what he's doing. He's saying, hey, Elijah, I know there's some really hard times out there. I know there's some really rough situations out there. I know life is really, really difficult for you. But listen, I have a plan. And what you need to do is just trust in my plan because I am a just God and I've got it all taken care of. And in our life too, we've got to trust in God's justice. Man, especially right now. When you can pull out a box in your pocket here and look up all the news of the day, man, Hoo-wee. It can really make you uptight. Have you ever uh, just interacted with somebody who just watched like an hour of news? Man. And they're just spitballing stuff. Man, you're never going to believe what happened over here and over here and halfway through the country and this evil person over here, this evil corporation. Blah, 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 blah. And man, it could just wound us up. Man, you ever just watch the news and then, man, you're just fired up afterwards and you're just all wound up? Listen, God didn't design you to be God. He designed himself to be God. He designed you to trust in his justice. Now, if God calls you to combat some sort of injustice, please be faithful to God's calling in your life. But listen, you can't combat everything. It's impossible for you to combat personally 
everything in your life. God can. He's a good God. He's a just God. He's an all-powerful God. And you put it in His hands. And sometimes you're just going to have to say, God, I, I can't deal with that. You have to. If you find yourself all wound up and all, all kind of sorts of uh, uh, just anxious about everything, spend some time in prayer and say, God, you take this. I can't deal with it. You take it, God. Romans chapter 12, verses nine, verse 19 says, Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God's got it. He's a just God, and he's got it under control. Put it in his hands. Trust in his justice. Again, if God calls you to combat some sort of injustice, please, please do that. We talk about it all the time. We're a small church. We're not the biggest church in the world. There's a lot of problems out there. And what God has led us to do is to help in the foster care community. And so we've partnered with Josiah Whites. They, uh, their office is in the lower level of our building. We've got the foster closet going on. That's something that God has called us to do. That's awesome. God's going to call you to do some things but not everything, because you are not God. He is. Let him be God. He'll do a better job at it. Take a look at verse 15 again with me. God says, go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. So he's going back this same way. And then he says, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. This is interesting. He's literally calling Elijah, a prophet of the Lord, an Israelite, to anoint a Gentile king over another country. Interesting. And then he says, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abel-Madon, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. What is God doing? He's reminding him of his purpose. And when you go in prayer in God, be open to God and allow God to remind you of the purpose of what he has called you, as we just talked about, to do because he hasn't called you to do everything he calls us to do specific things ask him hey god what what have what have you called me to do here's the confidence that again we have in this ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells, tells us that we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in him in them and here's what we know as well brothers do not consider the things that I've made my own, but one thing I do, forgetting that what lies behind, behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I pass, uh, press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, ask God to remind you of your purpose. And furthermore, look at what God reminds Elisha of. He says, hey, listen, there's 7,000 people in Israel who haven't bowed down to Baal. There's 7,000 people here that are righteous people who are worshiping me right now. That very well may be because of Elijah's uh, hard work and diligence. That very may well be because Elijah was a good prophet of the Lord and he did everything that he could have in that situation. And so those people didn't bow down. To Baal. The second thing that I want you to ask God to allow, and, and, and that you need to allow God to remind you of, is the fruit of your past. God reminds Elijah, he says, hey listen, you're doing a good job. There are still people who haven't bowed down to an evil, evil idol. There are still people who haven't bowed down to a false god. You're doing a good job, Elijah. You're doing everything that you can. 
Here's the last thing, and I, I know this has been a long message. This is way longer than I normally go, so thanks for hanging in with me. But here's the last thing I just want to point out about this passage. And this is actually from the first verse of the next paragraph here, verse 19. It says, so he departed from there and found Elisha. Remember, that's the protege who he is supposed to, to, to rise up. Uh, he was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the 12th. Now listen, listen, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. This is the process that Elijah starts with Elisha. What does Elijah do? He takes the next step. He takes the next step that God calls him to do. And in your life, when you're interacting with mental health, whether it be for your own sake, whether it be for some of, uh, someone in your household, whether it be for a friend that you interact with, listen, I encourage you to take that next step. Be faithful to whatever God's calling you to do. Whatever that looks like, get up, take that next step. That may look like going and having a conversation. That may look like finding a counselor. That may look like scheduling an appointment. That may look like, hey, listen, I got to get up and and take care of a a certain issue in my life. I got to go and do what God has called me to do. You can take that next step. Because here's the confidence that I have in God's plan for you. Philippians 1.6 tells us, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not done with you. God's got a plan for your life. He loves you so much. And so when you're interacting with these things, I know I I threw a lot at you this morning, but when you're interacting with these things, I just want to remind you how God reacted to Elijah. He was kind. He was gracious. He didn't yell at him. He didn't scream at him. He didn't say, get up. What are you doing, you lazy bum? God was good. He was a good, kind God. And whether it be for your own sake, whether you're going through something right now, and you need to hear, man, God God loves you. And he's kind, and he's merciful, and he's gracious towards you. Or someone else around you, and you need to show them that kindness, and that grace, and that mercy that God has so graciously shown you. I want you to remember that. One more verse. I know I've read a lot to you this morning. One more verse I want to read. We read this earlier. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Don't make the errors about thinking about mental health on on either side of the spectrum. Look at this, how Elijah looked at it. Look at how God interacts with Elijah. His goodness, his mercy, his kindness. He gives him what is need. Elijah cries out to him. And then God reminds him of the goodness and the purpose and the amazing things that he's called him to do. Remember that when you're going through something. Because if you haven't gone through something yet in your life, more than likely you probably will. And more than likely someone in your household will probably go through some t- sort of mental health disorder going on in their lives. And that's okay. We all have fallen uh, sinful uh, lives. There are things that are going to happen. And that's okay. God still loves you. 
He's not done with you, and he wants to grow his relationship with you this morning. Jesus Christ died so that he could have that relationship with you. He sent his one and only son so that he could have that relationship with you. And so this morning, here's how I want to close this out. I just want to spend some time in prayer. I had a song uh, planned to do it, but I just feel like the Lord saying, you know what, let's just spend a couple minutes in prayer. This is a heavy topic that we just covered, and it's hard. It's really difficult to think through sometimes. It's really difficult to interact with sometimes. Maybe you're going through something right now. If that's the case, I just want to spend some time in prayer for these next couple minutes. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much that you're a good God, that you're kind, that you're gracious, that you're merciful. Even when our brains don't function the way that they're supposed to, Father, we cry out to you honestly. We're not hiding anything, but God, we, we go to you honestly in prayer. We tell you what we're going through. For anyone going through anything right now, God, we cry that out to you. Anxiety, the depression, the things that are happening in our lives, that man, we, we didn't expect this. I was expecting something different. God, we hand them over to you this morning. We put them in your hands. We trust in your goodness and your mercy and your kindness and in your justice. Because you are a good God. You're a God of love. You created us. You sent your one and only son for us so that you could have a relationship with us. You created us with a purpose in mind. Thank you for that purpose, Father. We thank you that you have created us for good works in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I, I, I thank you so much that you're not done with us, but that you are faithful to complete them. Father, we thank you for this story about Elijah going through a really difficult time. And we just pray for anyone going through that difficult time right now, for anybody under that broom tree who's saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this next season of life. We go to you, we cry out to you. And God, we just again thank you that you are such a good God. Thank you for sending your one and only son to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, that we could be designed for good works in your kingdom, Father. We thank you for that. Help us to take that next step. Help us to be faithful. Help us to trust in your timing. Help us to trust in your plan over our own. We want to do what you created us to do, so help us to do that. As we leave this place, we thank you for the work that you've done in each and every one of our lives. Father, if there's anyone here who's never given their life to you, I pray that today would be their day, that they would trust in your mercy, they would trust in your kindness, they would repent of their sins and turn to you, Jesus, and accept you as their Lord and Savior. Because you're a good God. That is the only way that we can respond. Is by turning to you, by accepting you as our Lord and accepting the good work that you have designed us to do. Thank you so much, Jesus. We give our lives to you this morning. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.